Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, what is up, CBG? Good to see you. Hey, thanks for coming out. Uh, If you're watching online, uh, this is a cold day in Florida. It hit like 40s. So we lose our minds and break out one of the two sweaters we all own and show them all. But thank you for actually showing up at a campus on a cold Florida morning. Cold for us. People watching Minnesota are laughing right now in Quebec, but this is cold for us. Glad you are here. And uh, we're in a series called Level Up, Level Up. It's week two of Level Up, and it's about how to, how to grow and how to get better and how to make those key decisions, even resolutions, to see lasting positive change in your life And let's own from the start, change is hard. Those big areas, come on, man, don't stare at me, thank you. One honest person, brother, me and you. Change is hard, it's hard to change. Why is it so hard to change? We're gonna talk about that. Uh, So glad you're with us. So, uh, and I wait, if you're new, I always wait and start this series a couple weeks after the new year. Why I give time for your resolutions, maybe to crash and burn. I made one resolution, by the way, don't be a hater, I've kept mine. I've kept mine, I've not missed a day. My resolution was to eat flaming hot Doritos every day of the year. Not a lot, just a couple of chips. I eat a lot. That's my because re- they're awesome. Anybody ever had flaming hot Doritos? They are a worship experience. They're so good. So I've I've kept I've crushed my resolution I'm every day. Couple of times I am so disciplined. I'm going to bed at 11:30. I've not had my Dorito. Get up and do that. That's, that's commitment right there, commitment right there. So I'm not sure how your New Year's resolutions are going. I think the whole idea of a New Year's resolution is kind of strange because I can't think of a worse day of the year to make a big decision than New Year's Day. How did you feel on New Year's Day? Let's be honest here. How did you feel? You, you were tired. You stayed up too late the night before on New Year's Eve. Didn't you? Come on, talk to me, church. You, you ate things you probably don't normally eat. Your stomach was upset. Maybe some of y'all drank more than you needed to, had a headache that next day. You woke up like in bed, upside down with your street clothes on. Like what in the world? That's a terrible day to make big decisions. They're staring at me like they don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And that's the day we make these big decisions that don't work. So how could we make authentic life change? What is the secret sauce? Is it willpower? Is it action steps? No, I think the missing component is the spiritual foundation of true, lasting, positive change. I'm gonna show you what that looks like. So uh, find your Bibles, if you have your Bible at your campus, and turn to Matthew chapter three, Matthew chapter three. And I wanna give you a little tip while you're finding Matthew chapter three. It's something I do to to get better, to grow, uh, because I wanna get better in many areas of my life. uh, here's an example. You know, one thing I do professionally is is public speaking. I, I, I preach. I've done it for quite a while. I feel like God's given me a little bit of a natural gift in this, and then I work that gift really hard. Uh, you might might be surprised. No, I probably spend about Lisa what 25 hours a week in just sermon prep for this time. So I never show up and just wing it. When you come back next week, I promise you this: I'll be here, prayed up and loaded for bear. Right, you gotta work your gift. You gotta grind with your gift. So I do that, I do that. I've done this for some time, so I feel somewhat comfortable as a speaker. At the same time, my whole life, I wanna grow. I wanna get better. So one thing I do is I take advantage of distant mentors. I love up-close relational mentors, but you can learn from people 
especially with the internet right now, I learn from people. So I learn from other communicators. I watch habitually other pastors and other preachers, other speakers, but I like guys that are great speakers outside of the ministerial world. In fact, can I tell you my favorite three speakers of all time? At least the last 100 years. Can I tell you, would you care? Anybody care to know my favorite three as I study communicators? Um, I say here are the top three, top three. Uh, number three, the late, great Billy Graham. Billy went to heaven a couple years ago, but what a phenomenal ministry decades. But as a communicator, uh, Dr. Graham, his brilliance was his simplicity. There are more sophisticated communicators than Billy Graham. There's other pastors probably more naturally gifted. I mean, T.D. Jakes is probably more gifted than Billy Graham and, and Darius Daniels and Stephen Furtick. But Billy's ability to connect with a crowd and share the God truth in simple, understandable terms, genius. He shared the gospel with more people live than anyone in the history of the church. So Billy Graham's my number three. My number one, I'm not pandering because this is the weekend, but Dr. King. It has to be Dr. King, just objectively. His gift of oratory, his ability with language, his ability to inspire, his ability to generate metaphors that has stayed stuck in our imagination to this day as he described his dream or his view from the mountaintop. Dr. King just hands down as a communicator, I think probably the best speaker in American life, at least of English, of course, in the last 100 years. And then my number two, I overlooked number two. Uh, this might not connect with folks in the US, uh, but I'd say Winston Churchill. Churchill was a two-time prime minister in the UK, and you may not know who he was in history, and I know he, he, Churchill looks like every white baby, doesn't he? Every white baby kind of has that face. Just saying that, now you'll never unsee that every time you see a little white baby. Churchill, heavyset guy, gravelly voice, but his place in history, he's the prime minister in the early part of World War II uh, when the, the evil, the Axis powers, a coalition of tyrants and Nazis with evil ideologies, Hitler has swept across all of Europe in a matter of weeks. Hitler's forces have taken uh, the Scandinavian nations and Poland and then Belgium and then France. France had the largest army in the world and they take out France literally in a month and a half. And the only democratic nation left in Europe was Britain. And one man, his bold leadership and his brilliant oratory stirs a nation outnumbered and outgunned to stand alone till the U.S. enters the war and turns the tide. I mean, you could say that Churchill saved democracy and freedom for the Western world but his speech is brilliant. John F. Kennedy said this about Churchill and his use of language. He said, Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it off into war. So I study speakers because I want to get better. I want to grow. So who wants to change? Make some noise here, campus. You want to change. You want to grow. Uh, you want to improve. You want to eradicate some destructive habit in your life. Uh, it brings frustration, disappointment. Replace it with healthy habits. Uh, you want to get sober. You want to lose weight. You want to strengthen your marriage. What is your change? Uh, you want to make the varsity. You want to make the honor roll. You want to make partner at your firm. You want to go back and get your degree. Those are wonderful things. Why is it so hard? What's the missing component? I think maybe this, maybe... Uh, no, I'm using the idea of construction as a theme. So we're talking about what? Character construction. And that kind of building of character is hard. But I've used another metaphor if you were here last week. I used as a metaphor, as a parable. One of my favorite all-time Disney Pixar movies. I love the Disney Pixar movie, Up. Any fans of the movie, Up? Any fans? Anybody watch it this week? I heard the production team's gonna come in here and watch it on the big screens because they can do things like that at Church by the Glades. Up, if you've not seen it, Grown Ups, it's not just a kid's flick, it's a charming movie. It's the story of Ellie and Carl Fredrickson. 
and uh, they have this beautiful romance, this life, and they do it all in this, this house, this environment. Environments are vital. And so you see the story unfold of their love and their marriage, their childhood sweethearts. And in this beautiful house, the up house, um, they have blessings and a little bit of heartbreak. And then Ellie passes away and Carl grieves her and he hangs onto the house because every memory about his beautiful bride is attached to the house. But a developer shows up and, and wants the property, wants to tear down the house. So he tries to buy Carl out, then bully him out. But he stands, Carl does, he stands for his convictions. Maybe that's the change. You're feeling the pressure to compromise. Stand. You gotta stand. You gotta stand up for what you believe. Amen? So what is your change? What's your change? And by the way, so I asked a question last week. I wanna see if I can begin to answer this week. So as far as changing for the better, or even seizing greatness, even see, because our person we're studying is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the biblical bio this month. And John, if you don't know John, John's a prophet. He's a man of God. He's an agent of phenomenal change. He brings such powerful change to Israel. He changes Israel, uh, not just spiritually, but sociologically. In fact, he changes things scripturally. He's the one that ushers in what we call the New Testament. And I asked you studying this, this man who embodies what we're looking for, change. What is it? If you embody change or if you're great, because John was great, in fact, in Matthew 11, 11, Jesus said, by the way, when Jesus steps in, he settles the argument, right? I'm watching on Instagram uh, yesterday, two guys in a barbershop arguing who's the greatest, MJ or LeBron. You can make your case for either way. But when Jesus steps in and says, so-and-so is the greatest, done deal. Matthew 11, 11, he said, John the Baptist is the greatest person ever born. Yeah, wow, you want to be great? He's worth your study. So John kind of emerges out of nowhere, this voice from the wilderness, you know, cry, make way, uh, make a way for the Lord to come. So here's my question from last week. Is greatness or change seizing a moment or a process of preparation? Is it kind of grabbing a magnificent moment, recognizing, stepping into your moment, or is it the grind behind the scenes that no one sees? We're gonna talk about that because I think John's a great example of that. And again, John just kind of steps up and grabs this moment. I mentioned last week, there'd been no prophetic voice for 400 years till John, till John. All right, find your Bible here. We'll jump right into it. Matthew chapter three, a little backstory back on John. We'll begin in verse one. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, continues, we'll drop down to verse four, little description of his contour, contour, his clothing. Anybody fashion people, fashion people? Come on, put your hand. oh, fashion people. Oh, look how good you look, fashion people. Anybody on the other side of that, you don't really care much about fashion, anybody? Anybody, I've reached the age, sadly, where my driving fashion value is comfort. Is comfort, comfort, I wanna feel comfortable and look okay, that's all I care about at this point, just feel comfortable. So John was probably in my camp, because his clothing is unusual, somewhat primitive. It says his clothes were made of camel hair and he had a leather belt around his waist, all right? So these like clothes, like, like poor person clothes, it's like, I don't know, poor people, but at least, you know, sell rack at Target clothes. He's not, he's not wearing Jordans. He's not wearing Versace. Very basic, basic, basic clothes. Why? I'll tell you about hopefully today or in the weeks to come. Uh, by the way, uh, his, his diet, locusts and wild honey, and it says, verse five, get ready. He went out, uh, people went out to him from Jerusalem and 
all Judea and the whole region, come on, the whole region of the Jordan. Meaning this, his church was in a terrible location. Desert, hard to get to his church, but people came by the tens of thousands. And if you're coming from the whole region, you might be walking with your family for days. Imagine God doing something so big, such a profound change that people, multitudes, it says in Luke's gospel, multitudes and great crowds are pressing in to hear John because John is this agent of change. This is something big. And it seems like John comes out of nowhere. So is it seizing your moment because this is John's moment or is it the preparation behind the scenes that makes you great? We're gonna jump into it and study these things because John is a catalyst of change. And last week I proposed this. Why, why was he so effective? And I, I said, here's where it comes from. John is so effective and so successful because he is all wrapped up in this thing called God's purpose for his life. He drips with it. I mean, God announces his purpose for John before John's even born, right? John lives every day of his life consumed with this thing called God's purpose for his life. In the same way God had a purpose for John, God has a purpose for you. He's not a one-size-all-fits God. He has a customized, unique, supernatural purpose for your life. And I say three, shout the word purpose. One, two, three. God has a purpose for life. When you get a hold of God's purpose, that's, that's what brings about change. You see, the reason we don't see lasting change, we make our resolutions and they, don't, they crash and burn by faith. The reason, the reason it happens is this, because if I, I am making a change, even a good change, even a positive, unselfish change, but I'm the reason I'm making the change, it's my dream or it's my goal or it's my desire to see this change. If it's about me, 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 first and foremost, what happens is this, later on as I'm starting to work the change and it gets hard, if it's about me, when I get tired, or I get frustrated, or I get overwhelmed, or I, 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 I get befuddled. I give myself permission to quit. But if my change is attached to God, who's bigger than me and more permanent than me, all of a sudden now my change has supernatural dynamic to it and God gets involved because it's not about me, it's about my God and his purpose. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his right. And then these other things God will take care of. John understands this. John is, Matthew 11, 11, the greatest because he wraps his life around God's purpose. By the way, what was God's purpose exactly, Dave? What was his purpose for? Okay, the great thing about John is John's story shows up in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll take you right now to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, different John, by the way. And here's what it says about John the Baptist, John chapter one, verse 35. Get ready to read. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his... Disciples, ready? Get ready. Verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Your translation might say, behold, the Lamb of God. Better translation. So John's doing his thing, right? Crowds are gathered in. He's preaching. He's baptizing. And they're in the Jordan. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he, he pumps the brakes and says, whoa, whoa. It wasn't like, hey, isn't that Jesus? It's like, it's like behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. Yes. <laughs> so see, this, that's John's purpose. John's purpose, where he's brilliant at, he does all the time, he does so well. His purpose is to point. Yeah, wow. He just spends his whole life pointing into Jesus. Remember as a baby before he's born, he's pointing into Jesus. Till the day he dies, he points to Jesus. God called me all the time to see he knew who he was, knew who he wasn't. 
Are you the Messiah? No. Are you the prophet? No. John, who are you? I'm, I'm just a little voice of someone in the wilderness saying, get ready because he's coming. And now he's here. Behold, the Lamb of God. And he does it all the time. He does it really well. When you get a hold of God's purpose, it changes. It changes everything in your life. It energizes your Monday morning, not just your Sundays. It, it helps you power past the problematic in your life. It'll help you keep on going when you're frustrated. And it'll be an agent of supernatural, positive, and lasting change in your life. Oh, I cannot impress upon you enough how important it is, believer, that you embrace God's purpose. Now, as we're here right now, the three kinds, based on your moderate applause, there are three kinds of people in the room right now. Number one, there's three groups, three groups watching online as well. Number one, there's some of you in, in this room, I talked about God's purpose for your life, you're all in. You're like, yeah, I want it. I'm not perfect, David, I'm gonna drop the ball, but I really want God's best. I recognize God has this great plan for my life and I wanna pursue God's plan and purpose. It's what I wanna, it'll be the, I, I want. Second group in the room, people, you're like, no thanks. At least for now, at least for now. You're like, hey, David, I'm, I'm not even a Christian yet. I'm not sure I believe this stuff. I, I don't want God's purpose at this point, preacher. I'm not ready for that. I'm just here checking things out. Awesome. If that's you, you're not a Christian person, you're not ready for this yet, but you're doing your research, you're kicking tires, amazing, welcome. We're honored you're with it. Most brilliant questions you can ask, biggest in life. Is there a God? Did he make me? Does he love me? Has this God given his genius to mapping out a plan and purpose for my life? Do your investigation. So some of y'all are all in, and then some of you aren't in yet at all, but you're checking things out. Then there's a little group in the middle, and here's, here's let me frame what you're thinking. You're like, hey, God, I'm a person of faith, and I'm intrigued by this idea of your purpose in my life. And God, if my plans don't work out, because I got my dreams and my goals, right? If my plans and my goals professionally, financially, relationally, athletically, if my plans don't work out, then God, I'm, I'm gonna chase down your purpose but I got my plan right now. Don't laugh, because a lot of you do this. We've kind of mapped out this little plan, this little dream, right? So God of mine doesn't work out. Yours, I'm in. It, Why would you let God's plan A be your plan B? It should be logical because we get really attached. We get attached to our little dreams. We get attached to the way we script things. We get very attached. We can't control the outcomes, but we act like we can. God is way smarter than we are. You're the smartest person at church by the glades. You're the Albert Einstein in the room. God is so much smarter than you. Smart. He knows everything there is no past, present, and future. And he loves you more than you love you. So who do you think has a better plan and purpose for your life? It's God. It's God. Let God's plan A be your plan A. But God, seek ye first, seek ye first. John does this, he drips with this. We call him John the baptizer, translate John the immerser. Yes, he immerses people in water, but first he immerses himself in God's purpose for his life. Seek ye first, that's the key component for change. Most people leave this thing out. Build your house upon the rock, which is the word of God. Do what it says. Jesus said, people who practice what I preach, they're the ones who build their house on the rock. And when the storm comes, they're cool. 
They're cool. All right, so John is the greatest. He's the greatest. So in my research over the last few weeks, I thought, well, what's, what's he do? What's his formula? And I see the synergistic relation of three things, three things he does we can learn from. Because we're gonna learn from John as a distant mentor, how to get better, right? Three things I see in his life I think we can learn if we emulate. I, I wrote down this in my notes. Get your phone out, take your notes. I talked about his people, his process, and his promotion. I see three things in John's biography. I, I see his people, and I see him working a process. Then finally, I see his exaltation or his moment, his promotion. His people, his process, his promotion. Let's start by talking about his people, his people. Did you notice as we read John chapter one a few moments ago, it talked about the fact that John the Baptist had disciples. Wait, wait, time out, time out. I thought Jesus had disciples. He did, but John had disciples too. He says to his disciples, look at Jesus, look at the lamb. His disciples go, oh, who's that? And some of John's disciples follow Jesus. See, the reason I wanna point out this little detail, John had his people. Bible scholars, we think of John the Baptist as this, this lone figure that emerges from the wilderness, right? And just shows up, has nobody, needs nobody. He's this loner, this isolated person, not the case. John had disciples. In fact, they were so dedicated to John, you fast forward in your Bible to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 19 This is in Ephesus. This is five countries away and decades later. And guess what? The apostle Paul runs into John the Baptist's disciples. You need people if you want to change. Now, little bitty tiny changes and tweaks, you can probably do that personally and privately, but the big changes almost always require other people. You, you need your people. So John's not this lone figure, man. He, he prepared in isolation some, but when his ministry takes off, he had, he had disciples. Jesus is the only person who ever lived who did not need people, but he chose 12. He, chose, he did life with other people. Uh, the, the apostle Paul's a force of nature. He is brilliant. He is forceful. He is tenacious. Always traveled with a missionary team. David killed giants, but he had a band of brothers called his mighty men. You need other positive people in your life. Now, some of y'all got some knuckleheads in your life right now. I'm not talking about them. Some negative people who tear you down. You need some people to celebrate you, to champion you. Uh, they believe in you, they believe in God, and they wanna see you accomplish God's purpose in your life. They facilitate positive change. You need your people. That's one of the reasons why this thing called church is so very important. Church matters. You should be here as a holy habit. I'm not talking about legalism or brownie points, just to invest in yourself. And one reason is we need the people. Let me show you a verse in Hebrews. And by the way, this verse is a biblical command. It's on the screen right now in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, in verse 25, it says, let us not give up meeting together. Talking about church. Talking about church. Look at this part. As some are in the habit of doing. So some people are like skipping out on church back in the day. They didn't have buildings, they'd gather in homes or schools or public buildings, but some people are not meeting, they're in the habit of not meeting. And I, I look at verses like this and go, why, why? Why were these Christians in this life, why were they not, what happened? Maybe they got distracted, or maybe life got busy, or probably they were being persecuted. Back, back in that day, there's no religious freedom like we enjoy in this country. In this country, people watching online, right? We have people watching us every week in Iran, Afghanistan. It's different doing church in those places. You understand that? The freedoms as Americans that we can just dress up and put on one of our two sweaters and come to church today. 
Maybe back in the day they were persecuted. Back in this day, in this culture, uh, you could lose your property, lose your job, lose your life. Or maybe it was a plague, a.k.a. a pandemic. They got people out of the habit. You know, we opened back up after being closed by a government mandate for six months. We came back at church size, church population, church family-wise, at about 30% of what we had been numerically back in 2019. If you told me back in 2019, something's gonna happen, David, and 70% of the church family is gonna disappear, I'd be thinking, oh my gosh, who did I murder? What is the scandal? When did I go, right, what, what in the world? Pandemic. Now, I guess what the first few weeks, people were not out and about, but have you been paying attention in recent months? Have you watched an SEC football game on TV? Have you been to a public environment? Have you been to a crowded restaurant? We're back together. Yet still, we have a lot of folks not back. We have more than we had a few months ago, but a lot of people are not back. Why, why? They're just out of the habit. Why is it? Because this is a command, by the way. Not an option. We're commands. Well, it's a house right now, but it was a command. It was a command. Sorry, guys. This is not, a, we need this. You need the spiritual synergy of your spiritual family. It's commanded. And a lot of folks, and sadly, they're the ones who are not here who need to hear this. You can, you can put it on your Facebook, share it with them. Um, why is it good habits are so hard to keep and bad habits are so hard to break? This is a holy habit. God blesses individual actions, unique actions. God ble- but God really blesses habits and disciplines. Get back in the habit. Get back. Some of y'all been in church every week, all year long. Yeah, keep that habit going. Keep that going. Now, I don't think most people are out of church because they're mad or offended or upset, but since 2020, what has happened to our world? Right? I've seen people tap out on their churches. I've seen people like break, uh, break friendships off. I've seen you know, families fracture over things. But if you'd have told me that people get this worked up and this polarized over politics, social justice, you know, who's woke and who's not woke, COVID protocols, I can't believe people left churches over issues with the churches. COVID protocol. And back two years ago, we were all just making it up, right? We're all just making, we're listening to our doctors and our officials and anybody on Facebook that wore a lab coat, we're just listening, trying to figure out what to do. I thought we'd be more mature and discerning as the people of God that we wouldn't let things like this divide us. Why is this so critical? Because you have a hero, it is Jesus. You have examples of mentors like John, but you have an enemy. You have an enemy trying to take you out, destroy you. He's a thief and a murderer and a liar. If you ever feel like, oh my gosh, am I being paranoid? Is there someone out there trying to get me? Yes, they are. <laughs> and the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. A predator. What's a predator to do? A predator looks for a potential victim and how they capture that victim, subdue that victim, they separate them from the herd. They isolate them from the herd. They separate that fish from the school, that bird from the flock. They become a victim. See, the devil, hear me out, the devil to discourage you and defeat you will divide you from the body of Christ. But let me show you another biblical command, another biblical command in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 on the screen behind me. Look what it says here. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord. Je-. Paul's writing. 
Paul has apostolic authority, but Paul says, guess what? I'm gonna bump it up a notch. This is in Jesus' name right now. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so there may be no, be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. What's taking place in the Corinthian letter, by the way, the worst church in the Bible, they're being political and divisive and they're little groups and they're mad at each other and upset and offended. Paul says, cut it out in Jesus' name. So the enemy, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. He's laughing his evil, ugly butt off that he's gotten to churches and over political issues and social issues and COVID issues. Well, I don't like, they weren't wearing masks or they were wearing masks or well, about the vaccination or no vaccine. Stop it. It should be, typically, typically listen, listen, let me, let me really get you mad. Let me get you mad. If you're mad, this is really for you. All right. <laughs> typically, when things attack from the outside, it brings us together. Like a common entity, enemy, you work aside, you're different, and you work together. So remember here in America when, when COVID, back then we called it coronavirus, first became a thing, like March of 2020. For me, it's when the NBA shut down. All of a sudden, everybody got worried, and we started shutting down businesses and closing churches, and right, everybody's sheltering in place. So all of a sudden, and the first few days when that happened, we're together, and every athlete and every celebrity is tweeting and putting on Instagram, together, together, let's fight this together. Unified, we'll deal with this. And for like, we were together for like a week and a half. <laughs> then somebody evidently decided the virus was a Democrat. And we politicized it. And this group's mad at this group, and this group's mad at this group. And all of a sudden it creeps into the church. And people start superimposing politics above scripture. I get those things are important. They're important. They, they matter. I mean, they're really important. But compared to what we have in common, and if you're watching on TV right now, I have the great honor of not pastoring a monolithic church. If you're in one of our rooms, just look around. You want rooms here at Homestead? Y'all should be clapping louder than that. I mean, our church is diverse, what I'm saying. But I want you literally, if you're at Lake Worth or here at Coral Springs or at Dade Sierra Homestead, just look around the room. Look around the room at your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see what? You see multiple generations. You see multiple generations. You see multiple races and multiple cultures. I love that. I love, I have the honor of pastoring a very diverse church. It's one of those beautiful things about Church by the Glaze. It's one of my favorite things, leading this very diverse church, favorite things. And also, you are a pain in the butt. <laughs> stay with me, stay with me, hear me out, hear me out. Because because we don't all look alike and don't think alike and have different heritages and we don't vote alike, we come together with this potential for collision. So you try to lead you. and try to be sensitive to all these issues and all these backgrounds and all these passions. And I love it, but it's not easy. But we look like heaven. And the great Dr. King sadly said, the most segregated hour in American life back in the 60s was 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And due to overt racism, that's because by policy, some churches were white churches and some churches were black churches. But guess what? There's no longer policy in place, I don't think, in churches today. It's just sociologically, we like to hang out with people like us. So if I'm pastoring a church where everybody looks kind of like me, 
We're all the same age, and we're all white, and we all drive the same minivan, right? We probably all vote kind of the same. Easy! But this is biblical. But it's not easy. And here's what it means. Although we have these issues, we choose not to be offended. And we choose to be honoring and respectful, tolerant. Why? Here's why I say why, because we're different. Viva la differences. I mean, they're awesome. I love, the, I, love the, I love the heritage, the culture, but guess what? What we have in common, what we have in common, every Christian in the house, every Christian watching online, what we have in common, right? Because you're thinking about, oh, I don't know about my church. My church, my church is too conservative right now. My church is too far to the right. No, no, my church is too progressive, right? My church, I think my church is Republican. I think my church is Democrat. What we have in common is, all Christians, we believe a dead man came back to life and salvation is found in his name. By comparison, that's huge. I mean, how big, it, that's so big. I mean, who's ever going to a funeral and expected the dead guy to explode from the casket? But that's what we believe. That's what we have in common. So you're watching online right now and you call yourself a Methodist or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a charismatic or a non-charismatic or non-denominational or a Protestant or a Catholic. Guess what? What we have in common? We believe a dead man named Jesus came back to life and stayed alive, a historical anomaly, and freedom, forgiveness, and salvation found in his name. We got a lot in common. So the other stuff you get mad about, can I ask you in Jesus' name to stop it? Bible says no divisions. You're violating scripture. I don't care how political, I don't care, you know, if you have a blue donkey in your front yard or a MAGA hat on right now, stop it. In the church, we have a mission. We have a purpose. We point to the Lamb of God. So, so you, might have to, you might have to share this with somebody because they're not here right now because they're all mad about their thing. Gosh. If you're mad at your church, because my church, my church is too far to the right, or my church is too far to the left, or my church is woke, my church ain't woke enough. I... Behold the Lamb of God. That's the job of the church. Because the only one that can heal our nation. And by the way, for, for, for the people watching online who don't live in America, give me a moment for the Americans, the Americans, y'all know Jesus is not a Republican. To me, aren't sure. They are so puckered up right now. This is awesome. I love this. And you know that Jesus is not a Democrat. And Jesus is not a libertarian. He's not an independent. In fact, y'all know Jesus is not American. I mean, I, 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 I pledge the flag. I honor the flag. Jesus does not need to do that. For God so loved the world. Let there be no divisions. So I'm saying these other things, they're important. They have their place. But Jesus and his word will rule the day here and should rule your life. Rule his. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. I want to tell you about those other two things. I want to tell you about his preparation process. I want to talk. I'll do it next week. His preparation, his people, his pressure, and then his promotion. Uh, so the question I want to answer is this. So when it comes to your greatness or your change, is it seizing and recognizing your moment, stepping into your moment, or is it all the preparation and the grind behind the scenes? And obviously the answer is what? It's both. It's both. You cannot have one without the other. 
So I want to show you next week the promotion of John, how John just exploded. It seems like out of nowhere, but it wasn't out of nowhere. There are years of quiet, unseen preparation that helped him recognize his moment. But here's my question for you. Will you recognize your moment of greatness when God brings it your way? Will you step into your destiny? Because people who are truly great have that ability to recognize and seize their moment. So here's the weekend we honor the life and the legacy of the great Dr. King. We, when we think of Dr. King, what do you think of? You think of certain moments in his illustrious career that he stepped into the moment, the spotlight. You think uh, 1963 in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial where he shared his vivid dream with America. Or maybe 1964 when he won the Nobel Peace Prize. Or 1965 when he led the march from Selma to Montgomery. Or maybe you think of Dr. King, you think of that moment in 1968, I think it was April 3rd when he shared that famous speech about going to the mountaintop and seeing the promised land. And then he said that he may not get there himself. And he didn't. The next day, an assassin's bullet stole his life but could not diminish his dream. Moments, he stepped into these moments, these moments. What you don't see is all the preparation before and behind the moment. You don't see the hours of study as a college student at Morehouse College or the theological training at Boston University. You don't see all the meetings and all the administration and all the quiet. You don't see him for years as a Baptist pastor in pulpits in the South refining his gift of oratory. You don't see the grind behind the glory. It must be both. But make preparation and step into your moment. It's 1955 when Rosa refuses to surrender her seat on the bus to a white man. It's politics, 1964, when a has-been actor is invited to stump for Barry Goldwater as potential president. Goldwater didn't win, but people recognized this guy called Ronald Reagan could speak, and that began his political career that landed him in the White House for two terms. It's the same thing in 2004, when the Democrats at their national convention give the keynote address to an unknown state senator from Illinois, but 17 minutes later, the world discovered Barack Obama. Will you step into your moment? It's Hollywood when Tom Hanks signs on to play this weird role with a strange script that was rejected by John Travolta, but he goes on to play Forrest Gump and wins the Oscar. Another one, I apologize, Dolphin fans. But it's when a sixth round skinny draft pick from Michigan gets his chance to start when Drew Bledsoe goes down for the Patriots and Tom Brady gets his first chance to throw a football in an NFL game. Stop your clapping at that. Stop your clapping. I'm a bitter Dolphin fan. Goes on to win seven Super Bowls and is arguably the GOAT. But why it's football right now, it's Iowa State's Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy was a decent college quarterback, but wait a minute, he was given the label Mr. Irrelevant. Who gets that? The last college player drafted by the NFL. They have seven rounds, every team takes their turn, and so that last guy picked, they give the dubious honor, they call him Mr. Irrelevant, why? Because he never makes the squad. That guy never makes the squad, but Brock Purdy made it, third string quarterback for the 49ers. But when the first team guy went down and the backup went down, he stepped in and Mr. Irrelevant is now very relevant. He is six and oh and won in the playoffs yesterday. Grab your moment because you can miss your moment. Oh, you can miss your moment. History is full of sad examples of people who missed their moment. Back to Hollywood, Matt Damon's a very talented, very intelligent actor. 
But back in 2008, James Cameron said, I want you to be the, the lead in my new movie. Sent him the script, but Damon thought the script is strange, the concept is weird, way too much CGI, and the name of this movie, Avatar? No thank you. Cameron wanted him so badly, he offered him 10% of the gross. Matt Damon said no. He knew, Avatar became the biggest money-making movie at that time. Matt Damon missed out on $300 million as his personal paycheck. When you miss your moment, it can cost you. Is this your moment to say yes to Christ? Have you ever said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, chosen maybe believer's baptism? I'm telling you, this is your moment. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says in the Word of God, it says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now. now. So you think you're not ready, but God says, guess what? You're more ready than you know. You still got questions? That's fine. Do you have a mustard seed worth of faith? Because a mustard seed can move a mountain. Now is your time. There'll be prayer partners at your campus when I close this thing down. If this is your day and you're not certain and sure you're saved, why would you spend one more day? Level up. Step out in faith. Give yourself to my Jesus. Now is the time. Today is your day. Father God, thank you so much for people with the courage to stand up and level up. And somebody today is going to come and give themselves by faith to Christ. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.